Everybody knows what a disclaimer is, right? You're watching a television commercial and there's somebody telling their story about their disease or something else and a little box of text pops up at the bottom of the commercial and says, this person is a paid actor. Uh, you might see that other places. A disclaimer is just a statement helping to uh, keep away confusion. Uh, and I, I feel like I owe you, with this sermon, I feel like I owe you a, uh, a disclaimer. Um, because in full disclosure, I have never really suffered to any significant degree. I've experienced setbacks, and I've had periods of time that were more challenging than others, but all in all, I've had it pretty easy. Uh, Many of you in this room, or many of you listening online, have experienced much, much more suffering than I have. Uh, And I'm not saying that either to brag or to complain. Uh, It's just the way that it is uh, for me at this particular time in my life. And the reason I'm telling you this is because uh, as a preacher, I'm... I come across passages and topics that I'm supposed to proclaim faithfully, but sometimes it's things that that I haven't experienced personally. Uh, And suffering is a topic that is difficult to preach on in general, and let alone when you just haven't experienced that much of it. Um, And so this is sort of a disclaimer to let you know that, um, to be perfectly honest, I sort of feel unqualified uh, for, for this message to talk about suffering. Um, even the very brilliant C.S. Lewis uh, in his book, The Problem of Pain, where he addresses suffering on an intellectual level, he says the following. He says, The task of teaching fortitude and patience, I was never fool enough to suppose myself qualified. This is C.S. Lewis, who himself experienced significant suffering, uh, and he didn't consider himself qualified at all. He thought himself it would be a fool to, to do that, and, and, and here I am, so make of that what you will. Um, so I, I tell you all that to let you know that I'm, I'm going to try to be as sensitive as I possibly can as I address this topic while remaining faithful to the message of Jesus. Uh, but if I say something that comes across as belittling or insensitive in any way, please accept my apologies in advance. It's not intentional. Uh, it, it may just come from my lack of not having experienced some of this stuff. So that's my disclaimer up front, okay? Uh, we'll, we'll move on with the message. You can learn a lot about somebody by paying attention to what they pray for. If you want to know what my priorities are, if you want to know what I believe, listen to me pray. Our prayers often reveal our priorities, our beliefs, our insecurities. You can learn a lot about somebody by what they pray for. But it it works the other way as well. The way that we pray can actually shape our priorities, and the way that we pray can actually shape our beliefs as well. So in today's message, we're going to look at Jesus. We're going to look at him as he prays in the garden just moments before he's betrayed and arrested, as he's led away to be beaten and crucified. And we're going to see, we're going to ask, our, uh, ask the question, how should we pray in times of trial? How should we pray when things are tough? How should we pray as we're entering into a season, perhaps, of suffering? So we're going to continue in Luke chapter 22. We're going to begin in verse 39. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. Here's how it begins. Jesus went out, as usual, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, "'Pray that you will not fall into temptation.'" 
pray that you will not fall into temptation. Jesus is leading these followers. He knows that he himself is about to experience a period of suffering. And he knows that it's going to be difficult on those who are following him as well. So he tells them to pray not to enter into temptation. So the question that we might want to ask ourselves in this is, what kind of temptation would have been possible for Jesus' followers? One that I can think of would would be the, the temptation to give up and the temptation to stop believing. We know that as we go through times of difficulty, when when things don't go the way that we want to, if we're honest, we can be tempted to give up. We can be tempted to stop believing. When things get difficult, we can be tempted to give up on God, to stop believing that God loves us, that God cares for us. And these disciples are about to watch the the person that they have been following for months, if not years. They're going to watch as he's arrested and betrayed and beaten and eventually crucified. And this would have been a huge temptation for them to give up. And to stop believing as, as this terrible, terrible thing happened. Because in their minds, messiahs don't get arrested. Messiahs don't get crucified by the, by the oppressing power. No, they drive them out. And so for them to watch their messiah be arrested and beaten and crucified, this would have been a temptation for them to give up. So Jesus says, pray that you don't enter into temptation. Another temptation for them would have been to, to fight to resist. We know that they believed that the Messiah was going to come and lead a violent revolution, and and Jesus doesn't do that. And and so as he's arrested, in in the moment, they could have been tempted to fight back, to draw weapons, to resist, and to try to uh, take things into their own hands. And, And so Jesus tells them to pray that they don't enter into temptation. Uh... What about us as we experience times of suffering? What are, what are some things that we might be tempted to do? Are we tempted sometimes to give up? Are we tempted sometimes to stop believing when things get difficult? When, when we get a diagnosis that we don't like? When the finances take a hit? When we lose a job? When we lose a loved one? When a relationship comes to an end? Are we tempted to give up? Are we tempted to fight? Are we tempted to resist sometimes when we should submit? The story goes on. Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, and he knelt down and prayed. You know, Jesus' prayer life has often just left me in wonder, because as Christians, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that he had this unique connection with his Father all of the time, and yet we see that prayer was such an integral part of Jesus' life. And every time I come across a passage where Jesus stops what he's doing and he prays, that, that gets my attention. If, if Jesus, the very Son of God, had to stop and to pray, how much more important should prayer be in my life? So I, I want you to think about it. I want you to ask yourself, if you were in Jesus' sandals, what would you pray for in this moment? If you knew that impending was incredible pain and incredible suffering, what would you pray for in that moment? What have you prayed for in the past when facing a crisis relationally or financially or in regard to your health or in the loss of a loved one? How do you pray? Here's how Jesus prayed. Father, if you are willing... Take this cup from me. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. In other words, if there is any other way for this to happen where I don't have to experience this pain, God, please give me another way. Please give me a way out. Jesus prayed for escape. 
He prayed that there was a way that that didn't involve so much pain or so much suffering. And, And what this tells me is that it's okay for us to pray for an escape. It's okay for us to pray for a way out that doesn't involve pain or suffering. It's normal. Praying for a way out of suffering does not indicate a lack of faith. Right? Jesus didn't run headlong into suffering saying, give me all you can, I can take it. Right? He, he went into suffering with apprehension, praying for a way out. So, so if you're experiencing suffering, if you're going through a hard time, it's okay to pray for a way out. You don't need to feel like you need to, to run in or that it's some sort of a lack of faith if you pray for God to heal you or for God to bring your child back or, or for a financial deliverance or, or, or for a healed relationship. It's okay for you to pray for a way out of the pain. It's okay to pray to avoid suffering. We see Jesus prayed this way. But. But. He didn't stop there. Eight more little words. Yet. Not my will. But yours. Be done. God, if there is any way for me to get out of this without having to go through the pain and the suffering, please make a way. God, if I can escape this, if I don't have to drink this cup, please take it away from me. (sighs) Yet, not my will, but yours be done. That is submission. That's what submission looks like. And and in the world and in our culture, submission is viewed as weakness. To submit is viewed as weakness, as quitting, as giving up. And yet when we look at the story of Jesus, when we look at his act of submission here, we see incredible courage, incredible fortitude, incredible strength of character to submit to the will of God even when it involves pain and suffering and loneliness. He prayed for a way out. But he had the courage and the character to say, yet, not my will, but yours be done. You see, Jesus understood that suffering was not incompatible with God's will for him. Let me say that again. Jesus understood that suffering was not incompatible with God's will for him. This can be a difficult concept for us to grasp, especially as 21st century American Christians. You see, for so many people, the reality of suffering is proof that God is either powerless, evil, or doesn't exist. Right? As you read philosophy, this this problem of pain, as it's called, is, is proof that God is either powerless, evil, or doesn't exist. Sometimes, if we're honest, right, each of us is tempted to question God's goodness, God's power, or God's presence as we experience suffering. We're tempted to question, is God there? Does God love me? Is God good? Why am I going through this? If there's a good and powerful God, why am I suffering? If we're honest when we go through suffering, these are the questions that we ask ourselves. Interestingly, however, that never seems to be a question for the earliest followers of Jesus. You see, the earliest Christians, they suffered greatly, And yet they never seemed to doubt God's goodness, God's power, or God's existence. It's interesting. 
You know, I think if we're honest, most of us believe that we could do a better job than God, don't we? We would never say that out loud, we'd never say those words, but we would say things like, well, if I were God, I would eliminate all suffering with the snap of my fingers. If I were God, if I was all good, if I was all powerful, then I would just snap my fingers and take away all of the evil and all of the suffering in the world. And yet, Jesus, who comes to us and and reveals God's true character and who shows us what it means to live in a way that pleases God, doesn't give us that image of God. We have sometimes a bad theology of suffering. And, And I'm not saying that this is our fault. This is not your fault. I think we've been taught bad theology. We've been taught that a good and a powerful God would never allow suffering, but actually, I believe that reveals a shallow understanding, both of God and of reality. I'm not going to take the time now to address this on a philosophical and intellectual level, but I believe there's good philosophical reasons why a good and powerful God does not automatically take away suffering with a snap of his fingers. I used to believe that Jesus suffered so that we wouldn't have to. I used to believe that Jesus suffered in our place so that we wouldn't have to. I believe that if I had enough faith, that if I just believed enough, that God would either keep me from or deliver me from suffering. That if I just prayed hard enough, that if I just had enough faith, that if I just believed enough, if I believed hard enough, then then God would keep me from or deliver me from suffering. That's bad theology. And it's based on a misinterpretation of certain sections of Scripture and ignoring others. And the problem with that theology is it puts all of the burden on our shoulders. It makes us responsible for our own escape. That if only I would believe, that is a lie from the pit of hell. I think some of you need to hear that. You see, when I actually began to read Scripture, when I began to read the stories of Jesus' earliest followers, I realized that they all experienced incredible suffering in many different forms. And not only that, but they taught their followers, the other followers of Jesus, that suffering was a part of the deal. They said, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to experience suffering to some degree or another. I don't think we hear that enough from the pulpit. That following Jesus is going to involve some form of suffering. That to be a Christian really is to participate in the sufferings of Christ so that later we can participate in the glory of Christ. This was Christianity 101 for the earliest followers and and somehow in 2,000 years we seem to have lost this element. Just to give you a few examples of some of these early men of faith who suffered. Here's one. John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he was the forerunner and cousin of Jesus. He was a prophet who came to announce that the Messiah was going to be here soon. Jesus, referring to his cousin, called him the greatest among those born of women. That's a pretty big compliment coming from the Son of God, right? The greatest of those born among women. And yet, John the Baptist was beheaded in a prison cell. Guess he should have had more faith, huh? It's preposterous to say that it was a lack of faith that led to his suffering. How about Peter? Peter, Jesus left him in charge of the church. 
He wrote part of the Bible. He led the church for, for a few, uh, for probably close to a decade in the first century. And he was repeatedly arrested, beaten, persecuted, and eventually executed. Guess he should have had more faith, huh? Silly, silly theology. How did we get there? What about Paul? Paul wrote over half the New Testament. He planted churches throughout the entire Roman Empire. Here's Paul's suffering in his own words. This comes from 2 Corinthians. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. That means five times he received 39 lashes. He was whipped 39 times, and that happened on five separate occasions. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger, in thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness besides the other things. This is what Paul experienced. Somebody want to tell Paul he should have had more faith? Somebody want to tell Paul he just wasn't believing hard enough? Oh, and by the way, Paul was later imprisoned and executed. I guess he should have had more faith. Stories like this can go on and on. I could do an entire series, probably for a couple of months, on Christians who suffered precisely because their faith was so strong. And I could do a whole other series on, on teachings from the New Testament about that we are going to suffer and how we're supposed to respond to suffering. So this idea that if you just believe hard enough, that if you just have enough faith, you're never going to suffer, is not Christianity. So I want to clear up a couple misconceptions about suffering. Here's number one. Suffering does not mean that God doesn't love you. Suffering does not mean that God doesn't love you. If you're going through a period of suffering, if you're going through pain, that is not an indication that God doesn't love you. It's not an indication that God is angry with you. Suffering does not mean that God isn't good, powerful, or present. Suffering does not mean that God isn't good or powerful or present. And suffering doesn't mean that you don't have enough faith. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Along the same lines, unanswered prayers do not mean that God doesn't love you. Unanswered prayers do not mean that God doesn't love you or that God is angry with you. Unanswered prayers don't mean that God isn't good or powerful or present. And unanswered prayers do not mean that you don't have enough faith. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. When Jesus prayed in the garden, Jesus, who is the model for perfect faith and obedience to God, when he prayed in the garden for some other way, the answer from God was no. Jesus experienced unanswered prayer, so don't let anyone tell you that just because you have an unanswered prayer means that you are somehow less than, unloved, or that you don't have enough faith. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray. 
right? We should pray, and we should ask God for an escape, and we should ask God to heal us, and we should ask God to provide for us, and we should ask God to heal our friends and to heal our relationships, but we just need to recognize that sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the only way out is through. Sometimes the only way out is through. So here's what I want you to remember. Sometimes prayer changes our situation, but other times prayer changes us. Sometimes prayer does change our situation. Sometimes people are healed. Sometimes we're healed. Sometimes God shows up in miraculous ways and and heals people and heals situations and provides in miraculous ways. And sometimes He doesn't. And that doesn't mean that He's not good, that He's not powerful, that He doesn't love us, that we're sinful, that we don't have enough faith. It just means that God's ways are higher than our ways and sometimes we don't understand. Sometimes He changes the situation. Sometimes our prayers change us. Sometimes as we pray rightly, as we learn to pray rightly, our prayers can strengthen us. Our prayers can upgird us. Our prayers can refocus us in the right direction. So here's our guiding question. Are we willing to submit to the will of God even if it is going to lead us into suffering? Are we willing to submit to the will of God even if it's going to lead us into suffering? I know that that's difficult. I know that that's difficult. But are, are, we, are we willing to end our prayers with just one final line? Eight little words. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Are we willing to trust that God is able to work in and through our pain? Are we willing to do what Peter said that Jesus did, which is entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly? Are we willing to trust God, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it hurts, even if it's going to cost us? Now listen, I know that this is easier said than done. I know that this is easier said than done. I know that it's easy for me to stand up here on this stage and tell you this. I know that it's much more difficult. I know that if I was in your situation, if I was experiencing the pain and the suffering that you may be going through, that I I would ask the same questions that you're asking. I would have the same doubts that you're having. I'm just, but I'm going to ask you to give this a shot. I'm going to ask you to try this. I'm going to ask you to just add eight small words. Get Not my will, but yours be done. Let me tell you why I believe this is so important. Why it's so important for me to add this to the end of my prayers. Because I know how sneaky I am. I know how sneaky I am. I know that I I, I can, I know how sneaky my selfishness can be. Right? I know that I can make my own desires seem good and godly and holy. I can pray, God, if you just give me a million dollars, I can give a hundred thousand dollars to the church. Amen? Right? I, I know that I can do that. I know that I can make my own desires seem good and godly and holy. I can trick myself into thinking that what I want is what's really best for me. But God isn't fooled by any of that. I wrote this in my notes. 
even though God's plan for me isn't always the plan I would choose for myself, I choose to believe it's the best plan for me. Even though God's plan for me isn't always the plan I would choose for myself, I choose to believe it's the best plan for me. I choose to believe that God has my best interests at heart, even if it's not what I would choose for myself. I choose to believe that the one who sent his son to die for me wants the best for me. And I believe that for you too. I believe that God wants the best for you, and he demonstrated that by sending his son to die for you. And so that helps me to trust him when things are tough. The closest I've ever come to what I might call a dark night of the soul or, or something along those lines was in the summer of 2012. I'm not at liberty to share more details. I wish I was, but it involves more than just me, and I, I don't feel like it would be appropriate at this time to, to share it without others' permission. But what I can tell you is that this experience left me unsure about just about everything I thought that I knew. I'll tell you this, it's most certainly not the path that I would have chosen for myself. But even in those moments, when it seemed like everything that I, that I thought I knew was gone, God remained. And it's in those moments that my faith was strengthened in a way that nothing else could have done. I wouldn't have chosen it for myself. I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish it on anybody else. But because of what I experienced, my faith in God is stronger than it ever would have been without that situation. God knew exactly what I needed. and He was able to work in that situation to draw me closer to him. I know some of you in this room and some of you watching and listening online have similar stories. I've heard them from you. You've been through things that you wouldn't wish on anybody else. You wouldn't choose them for yourself. And yet, looking back, you know that your relationship with God is stronger now than it ever could have been. But I also know that sometimes in the moment, it doesn't feel like that. As we read on in the rest of the story, we see that Jesus went back to pray. And he was in such agony that he he was actually sweating drops of blood. He was in such agony. It, it, this was not easy for Jesus. He, I don't, in the moment, he didn't feel like his, his faith was being strengthened in his Father. So if you're in the midst of this suffering right now, I know that it may not feel like that. I know that it may not feel like God is using this for your good, that God wants to work for your good even, and through this, even in and through this pain. So I'm asking you just to trust, to add three little words, yet not your will. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Pray for a way out. And don't stop praying for a way out. But be willing to submit. And if you're going through something, if you're going through pain, I want you to know that you don't have to go through it alone. That we in this room will stand with you, we'll pray with you, we'll walk by your side. I want you to know that though God may seem absent... Though God may seem silent, though the answer may be no, that God is there. And he is with you, and he loves you, and he wants the best for you. The Apostle Paul, writing to early Christians, told them that we do not dare compare our sufferings 
with the glory that should follow. He says, in comparison to the glory that's coming, our sufferings feel like light and momentary afflictions. In the moment, it doesn't feel like a light momentary affliction. It feels like the weight of the world's on your shoulders. And yet Paul says, the glory that's to come outweighs this in such a degree that what you're going through now is going to pale in comparison. So he says, don't give up. Don't give up. Hold on. Continue to pray. Continue to believe. Continue to trust. Believe that the one who sent his son to die for you wants the best for you. Are we willing to submit to the will of God even if it's going to lead us into suffering? Are we willing to add eight short words to the end of our prayer? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Let us pray. God, we, we recognize on an intellectual level that your ways are higher than our ways, that you see life differently, that you have a fuller perspective, and yet from our limited vantage points, it's difficult to acknowledge that sometimes. Father, we don't want to suffer. We don't want to suffer. We don't want to experience pain, and yet you have told us that suffering and pain is going to be a part of our story, that we must share in some degree in the sufferings of Christ so that later we can share in his glory. So, Father, for those who are experiencing pain, for those who are experiencing suffering, we pray that you would provide a way out. Father, that if you're willing, that if there's any other way that they can learn what they need to learn without going through suffering, that you would open up that door, that you would help them to escape. But, Father, if there's no other way, We pray that not our will, but yours would be done. Give us the strength of character. Give us the courage to look suffering in the face and still trust you and still believe that you love us, that you're good and powerful and want the best for us. Father, you have promised that in all things you are working together for our good. Help us to believe that. Help us to hold on to that. For those who are experiencing pain and suffering right now, God, make yourself known to them. Help them to see you in this. Help them to to see your hand. Help them to experience your grace and to feel your presence. Father, for those of us who are not experiencing suffering, help us to walk alongside of them. Build our faith and our trust so that when it does come, we can, like Jesus... In sincerity, pray. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.